0: Nancy Colomer, who you're about to hear from, has written what I think is maybe one of the most useful and important books anyone headed into retirement can read. In fact, the reason I found Nancy is I have so many families that I work with over the last decade or so say, look, I, I read this book called Second Act Careers and it really helped me think through what my next phase was going to be. How compelling is that? A second act career. Well, think about early retirees. So many early retirees end up in a retirement gray zone. Nancy calls it semi-retirement. And there's a real power in understanding what your next phase is, particularly if you're retiring a little bit early. Maybe it's time to figure out, is there another job that is more fulfilling? Is there another act to your career? And guess what? It checks some of the most important happy retiree traits, multiple streams of income finding a new purpose, core pursuits, socialization. So, so many important things are wrapped up in Nancy's great work, Second Act Careers. But the question is, how do you do it? How do you find it? It's not as easy as just saying, hey, Wes, what do you think I should do for my next career? It takes some work, takes some time. But to have someone like Nancy walk us through how to come to that conclusion, how to understand what that second act really should be, is so powerful and so helpful And I'm excited to bring Nancy right here to the Retire Sooner podcast today. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. So Nancy, thank you so much for being here with us. I've waited a long time to be able to get you on the podcast because it is a topic that always comes up that I don't have the perfect answers for and this is that mm-hmm. second act career that's so just it is it's make or break for so many people. I even this week had I've been going back and forth on what to call this second act if you will, career transitions. So many folks that end up being able to retire I labeled it, I think, with a terrible name, which is the retirement gray zone, where people retire kind of. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, wait, the retirement gray zone kind of sounds dark and gloomy. So what is a better interim step? And I still haven't figured that out, but I I don't know if it gets much better than semi-retirement. You use that word, semi-retirement.
1: Right. And if I had my way with my publisher, that would have been the name of the book. It would have been the uh, semi-retirement handbook. Because I think some people are interested in earning money. For a lot of people, it is not so much about earning money as it is uh, about finding activities that are meaningful, finding purpose, filling their day with things that make them, you know, at the beginning of the day, just really want to jump out of bed.
0: Yeah. Well, it's it, it hard. It's so hard for people to figure that out. And we're mm-hmm. going to get to lawyer. In fact, one of my questions for you is I want to know about a story of a lawyer turned barista or a corporate exec turned into a river guide or a some sort of extreme job or extreme mm-hmm. change, or maybe just a slight change. And we're going to get to that in a minute, but we ask our Retire Sooner guests because core pursuits, which is fits into what you talk about, but they're not necessarily income earning. These are just core pursuits. I call them hobbies on steroids. I just wrote about this in the Atlanta (laughs) Journal about a a couple that, that we've worked with for many years who ended up in a clarinet band in their retirement and got to play at Carnegie Hall. Wow. So this entire story of this boomerang hobby... On steroids, a big core pursuit of their life that ended up being really big. It was big in the early years of their life, and then it got really big in retirement. So, but let me start with this uh, favorite, and I'll give you some choices here. Fa- either favorite song to sing, Nancy Collimore, or favorite just song in general.
1: Yeah, so I think I'm, I'm. First of all, I can't sing to save my life, but I would say in terms of uh, singers, I'm just I'm old school. I love James Taylor. I believe we share uh, Carolina in common. So Carolina on my mind, one of my favorite songs.
0: God bless that. You are a Tar Heel. That's right. You went to University of North Carolina for psychology, right? That's when you got your BA.
1: Unemployment 101.
0: I love that. How about your favorite instrument, either to listen to or to play?
1: There again, not terribly musical, but I would say in terms of listening to music, um, there is something just really soothing. Got a good violin player.
0: Ooh, a good violin. I thought you were gonna say acoustic guitar because of James Taylor, but
1: yeah, yeah.
0: But I love both. How about your your favorite book or the favorite of your books, or is second have you done another book before second act?
1: Yeah, so second act was really my first book. I actually did some ebooks that were really successful, one called The Layoff Survival Guide. Back before ebooks were a thing, and it, it actually did very, very well. But in terms of books that I love, um, I'd say here again, it's not so much books, but my favorite author in this space, two people I would point to. First is Barbara Scher, S-H-E-R, and Richard Leiter, who writes a lot about purpose.
0: How about your favorite place to travel in Michigan? <laughs>
1: i will have to admit i've never been to michigan
0: well that's why we asked the question because it's an underrated state there you go and it this is emblematic so if you haven't been (laughs) i spent a bunch of time there in the summer because if you go really far north it's cooler there you can find you can kind of get out of the 100 degree heat and there's not a lot of places to do that you got to get pretty close to canada so how about just favorite place to travel though in general or in the world
1: yeah, I have to say one of our all-time favorite vacations was to Acadia National Park in Maine.
0: Maine, it is beautiful. Well, that yeah. is, Maine is cooler in the summer. Mm-hmm. And where do you hail from? So where are you doing this interview from?
1: Okay, so grew up in Long Island, went to school in North Carolina, lived most, most of my adult life in Connecticut. And uh, less than two years ago, we moved to Bucks County, Pennsylvania. And that's where I am today. Well, um- mm-hmm.
0: You're basically from near my hometown then. So I'm I'm in, and if you're newer to Pennsylvania, Bucks County is probably an hour from where I grew up. So I, I'm in the near Lancaster County. Where I grew up, My dad. Oh, my dad sure. lives in Coatesville, near Amish country, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. So it's a beautiful place. Nice place. It's a beautiful yeah. place. So let's start with a cliffhanger here. And this is where I will have these conversations. And once in a while, I get a little bit stumped because you have people from all sorts of, careers. And they'll come to me and and let's say they've gotten to the point financially where they are in good shape that they can kind of go do something else and the money's not quite as important, but they still want to earn a living. Or they really want to get out of a career and they still want to earn a living. And I've had clients of mine read your book and just say, it was really helpful, the second act careers, because I'm really rethinking that. And so I, I don't know what to tell people a lot of times. They're going to go consulting or they're going to in the similar industry or they're going to go something completely mm-hmm. different. It's a real specialty to help someone do that because there's so many ways you can go and it's such a big step to change. And it's a really important step for your life, your purpose and f- potentially financially. So let's start there. You had mentioned a lawyer and you actually have a consulting practice where you sit down with people and help them with this potential next step. Is that right? Correct.
1: Yeah. So what are the tough
0: ones? Give me an example of a a lawyer, and I know lawyers typically want to get out of their careers, (laughs) but where do they go and how diverse can the outcomes be when they're leaving?
1: Yeah, so it's such a great question. And the answer is the outcomes can be extremely diverse because we're talking about different people with different interests and different goals. And I think one of the biggest challenges for attorneys or anyone who has invested a lot in their career is that when you're talking about working during retirement, or even if you're not talking about working for income, just finding meaningful activities, it can be difficult to replicate the, the stature and the prestige that you enjoyed in your first career. And that can be a real stumbling block for folks. Um, you know, I'll never forget one time, Wes, I was sitting next to a man on an airplane, we got to chatting, he asked me what I did, Um, which always leads into interesting discussions. And he said to me, you know, my biggest fear is if I leave my job, when I go to a cocktail party, I am going to constantly introduce myself as someone, well, I used to be fill in the blank. And so that's a real challenge for people. And so how do you get over that? Where do you start? And, you know, the first place that you start is you really need to think about what is it that you love to do, what do you do well and what do you find most meaningful and you know that sounds really obvious but doing it is really really challenging and so a simple thing that you know your listeners can do right right now is just take out a piece of paper draw three columns label the top column what i love to do next one what do i do well and third one what do i find meaningful And just keep a running log for a week. And it can be things as simple as, I love going to the farmer's market. Just spending time picking out fresh fruits and vegetables. I think I'm really, really good at helping people with relationship problems. Keep a running list going. And then at the end of the week, look for, okay, where is the intersection between these three columns? And you'll begin to get some ideas. Now, that's a great place to start. But that is only a starting point. And I always say you can really get lost in this if you just use your time to think about it yourself. Um, You can get really caught up in your own limitations, your own past scripts. And so it's really helpful to also ask other people who know you well and say, you know, what do you think that I do well?
0: Maybe some examples. I mean, you had mentioned you're, you're talking to a lawyer at some point this week, counseling someone. And again, saying lawyer, mm-hmm. there's so many different kinds of lawyers. And it's a very broad industry, obviously, with lots of different specialties. But do you see lawyer that goes to barista? Do you see people that are big, high corporate, and they go and they're now river guides? Or is, it, is that the outlier relative to staying on, let's call it, a similar
1: path? So great question, because, you know, those of us in the media love those types of stories, right? They make, they make for great, great stories. We all enjoy them. They're very inspirational. Are they the norm? Not really. Yeah. The fact of the matter is most people base their second act careers on something, some part or piece of what they did before, but they do it in very different ways. So as an example, I was speaking with someone the other day. He was someone who had been a high school teacher. He loved teaching, but he was tired of being in the classroom. He's retired now. And what does he do? He found himself a gig at a local historical society where he gets to dress up as a historical character and lead stores. He's having a blast, not earning a whole lot of money, but that's not the point. He just really enjoys doing it. So it's a way of taking a piece of what you did before. I think my favorite story from the book was I interviewed a rabbi and he had decided for a variety of reasons, he wanted to leave the pulpit life. And he was trying to figure out what to do next. And he always, you know, people had always said to him, he was very funny. And so he happened to see an ad in a local paper for uh, local Jewish paper for Philadelphia's funniest comedian. And he thought, what the heck, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna audition. P.S. He ended up Developing a stand up routine. And where this gets really interesting is he paired up with a Southern Baptist minister and a Muslim cleric, and they developed an act called the Laugh in Peace Tour, where they went around to college campuses and together they entertained the students. And I love what he said to me because he said, You know, Nancy, I am no longer on the pulpit, but when I see the students, Or sitting there, someone with a yarmulke who's sitting next to someone with a hijab, and they're both laughing at the same jokes, and they start conversing with each other, I'm doing God's work. And I love that, because it's such a fun example of how you can take the core of what you did before and express it in different ways.
0: Well, it sounds like the perfect intersection between something that he loves, so he's speaking publicly right, and giving a message, and then he's probably really good at it, so what what does he do well? And then meaningful... It's the three columns you talked about is the inner that intersects on all three on, on this particular example. right? And again, you're so right about these stories. I mean, you go to CNBC Personal Finance Channel, it's usually something kind of extreme. You know, and now, I want to also ask about the career where you end up traveling, let's say, but you're blogging about it and you're making a living that way. But what about mm-hmm. some maybe some less likely, where people really do downshift. I mean, do you see people that are high power in some sort of high power attorney or consultant or executive, and then they go into something that is really ultra low pressure? And I I don't know why I always go back to the barista thing, because I think when we're in Starbucks, we think for 10 minutes, like, oh, that seems like a nice, fun job. Reality, that's a really tough job. And those people are getting (laughs) hammered (laughs) by lines and 15 orders. But do you have an example of something that sounds just nice and relaxing as your next move?
1: Yeah. So I'll give you a, a really fun example. So, uh, Wes is part of my work. I write a column about work and purpose for Next Avenue, which is a PBS site for people over 50.
0: Love Next Avenue. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I interviewed a, a man who had been a vice president at a company, he had moved to Portland, Maine. And he spent the first couple of months just getting settled. And, and then he started to grow antsy and he started thinking, you know, I'd really like to figure out something I can do. So he happened to be at the barber shop, and the barber was talking with the person next to him about how there was this new company in town, Maine Foodie Tours, and his ears perked up and he thought, that'd be sort of fun. I love, I love good food. I love talking with people. He ended up becoming a part-time guide for Maine foodie tours. He would be out of the house um, and walking around. So he did that during the summer months. And then, you know, Portland, Maine gets really cold during the winter. And in the winter, he always loved basketball. And the Boston Celtics had a G League team in Portland. And he worked as an usher. And, you know, he loved it. It was really fun. His wife was happy. He was out of the house. Uh, He would, you know, be able to talk with people all day having a great time.
0: Yeah, that's, see, that's, that is awesome. That is aspirational. I think it's because I keep thinking the river guide thing, which is something I hadn't really thought about until this past summer. I went white whitewater rafting. I would say it's semi-whitewater rafting. It's like semi-retirement. It wasn't crazy rapids with my kids and, <laughs> and it was in Colorado and it was really wonderful. And I thought, what a, what a relaxing, fun, totally different thing that Mm -hmm. relative to what I do on a daily basis, which is finance and economics and investments and financial media. And I just thought what a just a radical shift to something totally different. And I think that a lot of us have in our mind just the, the thought of how nice it would be to have a radical shift. Oh, farm and you know, ranch in Montana. Like I'm going to be a cow hand, like totally different. But the reality, and let's go back to kind of for most people to try to educate and help our audience to what most people do is that they end up with something that is in a similar vein to their industry, but maybe something doing it in a different way. And you talk about expert streams of income. Mm-hmm. And maybe let's go to that, which which may go back to this thought around consulting, which is kind of the number one thing I hear. Oh, I'd like to do some consulting, but it's not as easy as a lot of people think it will be. So let's go down that trail.
1: Sure. So uh, lots of people who leave their professional life and and they say, and rightly so, you know, basically I enjoyed my job, but it, but either it was time to go or they got pushed out or what have you. But they have all of this knowledge and expertise that they don't want to let it go to waste. And so what are some options for people like that? Well, you know, as you said, consulting is, is the obvious low-hanging fruit. Uh, you can work, you can figure out some way to teach either as an adjunct professor. Again, you're not going to get paid a whole lot. But I was talking with someone the other day. He's getting ready to retire. He's leaving his position uh, as the, uh, he's on this, in the C-suite in a hospital. He knows a lot about how hospitals are run. He said, you know, it'd be really fun just to teach a course at the local community college on that and share my expertise. I was talking with someone else who I'm sure you're familiar with SCORE. You know, SCORE provides um, mentoring and educational services to people that are interested in entrepreneurship. Um, I have a friend who ran a company. He was very, very successful. He now spends some of his time mentoring other entrepreneurs and sharing his knowledge that way. So there's lots of different ways that you can do it. You might be a business consultant. You can um, obviously write. You can speak. You can sponsor lectures. These days, online, there are a lot of different platforms where you can even create your own course Uh, or your own digital products. Now, I do have to say most of the people who are hawking those platforms and those digital products make it sound like it's super easy to do. And all you need to do is, you know, it'll take you three hours and, and you'll have a successful product. You and I both know that the marketing that goes into those takes a whole lot more time and effort than most people are willing to admit. But that can be an option for some folks.
0: And by the way, the, the example that you gave was SCORE, which is S-C-O-R-E, which is the Entrepreneurship Organization. Yes.
1: That's through the U.S. Small Business
0: Administration. So th-
2: but if you look up SCORE.org.
0: SCORE.org.
2: Hey, y'all. It's Mallory Boggs, the producer for the Retire Sooner podcast. From an investment standpoint, the world is changing. We've gone from no inflation to hyperinflation, zero interest rates to much higher interest rates. All of this changes the dynamics for stocks and bonds. So the question for you, are your retirement accounts ready for it? Have you adapted your investments for these major shifts? Do you know what kind of income your 401k account is gonna pay you in retirement? If not, maybe it's time for a new perspective. The Retire Sooner team is here to help. If you're ready to talk, reach out to our team and we'll help you take a closer look at how you can generate income in retirement and protect yourself from inflation. We'd love to hear from you. Again, find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S dot com.
0: There are new online platforms. Now, Masterclass, I used to see ads for Masterclass. Now, it almost looks like you have to be an A-list celebrity to do that one, but yes. there are others that you don't have to be you know, Oprah Winfrey to get a gig there.
1: Yeah, Teachable, all sorts. Teachable lots is another of example. Platforms. Teachable? Yeah, Thinkific, lots of different ones.
0: When do we start? When do people really start? Should they start? And when do they start? Is there a mistake in people waiting too long or doing too early and do they need to be financially ready? Is that part of the equation when you're counseling people on these second act mm. careers?
1: So my my standard answer to this one, Wes, is it is never too early or too late to start. Let's talk about what that means in terms of real timeframes. So ideally, I think if you're within two years of retiring, that's sort of the sweet spot to begin to think about this. And if you are already retired, then... You know, for a lot, a lot, look, a lot of people are really busy with their jobs. They have busy lives. They just don't have the bandwidth to really address this. So if that's your situation, that's okay. Take a couple of months to decompress, enjoy life, and then begin to really think about this in earnest.
0: So the sweet spot around two years prior to either yeah. either your actual retirement or your semi-retirement, how long do you see people on average end up in these second act careers? How long do they last?
1: You know, great question. And I don't have a good answer for that. I, I what I can tell you is that I think they are oftentimes works in progress. So people start out doing one thing and then one thing leads to another. And you know, I think that point is really important for people to remember that. You're never gonna get anywhere by just thinking about this in your head, that it's important to start to take steps. Um, So take a class, maybe take on a project, begin to test things out in small ways, do a volunteer gig. That type of activity will will give you lots of information and that will then inform your next steps. You know, Wes, I'm sure when you started out as a financial planner, you did not have in mind, hey, I'm gonna write a book, I'm going to have a podcast. I'm going to write columns. That was probably not part of your grand vision at the beginning. But as you got into it, you began to see opportunities that you didn't know existed before. And the same is true with the second acts.
0: A little similar to how you ended up in this second career because you were in HR for a long Mm -hmm. time. And then how Mm -hmm. did you transition? How long did that take? And did that end up just happening? And then you looked back and said, wow, I went through a second act, and then let's let, now I can help people do that. Or did you have that? Did you have a grand? Did you have a grand plan when you were ready to do your second act?
1: Yeah. So uh, the answer would be no. And what happened in my case is, you know, I was a psychology major in college, um, had a grand old time at, at Carolina, but you know, graduated not knowing what the heck I wanted to do. Ended up working for AT and T back when it was AT and T in their management training program. And you know, two years of that, finally I said, okay, I need to get my act together. And I happened to work for them. I mean, talk about the, the role serendipity plays. I happened to work for them right at the point AT&T was, was breaking up. And so the company brought in career counselors. And I spent two days working with career counselors and I thought, wow, you know what they do? I didn't even know what career counselors did. That seems really interesting to me. Fast forward a couple of years after i had had my first child and I did take off a little bit of time, And I thought, you know, I I think that would be really interesting. And so I looked online. I ended up finding a master's program in career development, went and got my master's degree, worked with, spent the first 15 years or so of my practice working with moms who wanted to work on a flexible basis. And I did coaching and writing around that issue. And then when my own kids had grown up and were you know, out on their own, I thought, well, I don't want to be you know, 70 and in a rocking chair and talking about jobs and moms. And what I realized was so many of my contemporaries were beginning to wonder, what am I going to do during this so-called retirement time? And I thought, you know what? I've learned a lot from my work with moms about flexible and fulfilling options. And I bet this population would be interested in that as well. And that was how the idea for the book came along. So it was a series of steps. And uh, did I know that going into it? Absolutely not. But each step um, really became uh, visible to me as I got into the process.
0: University of North Carolina, that was undergrad. So you're running around Franklin Street, Mm -hmm. having a good time, and he's not here. And that was there, of course, right? He's he's not, right? Do you know what I'm... Yeah. Of course. And then... I don't know if I knew that there is a a master's in career development. So that's after University of North Carolina, you went to New Rochelle, College of New Rochelle. And that's so there's an actual major called career development or or master's program. And
1: again, serendipity played a role because at the time there were only three master's programs. And this was before the days of virtual learning. One of them happened to be a half an hour from my house at a point that I had two very young children at home. And so, you know, I was not going to go travel into Manhattan and go to, you know, NYU, which eventually also got a program. But at the time, I just, you know, it, it was a fortuitous happening.
0: Now, what about the fears? So we go through, and I'm wondering what your clients that you counsel on this, what they articulate their biggest fears. Are they financial? Is it I'm not going to be good at this next gig? I'm not going to find? I think what I would, in my mind, something that is a little ominous is just, am I going to find something that I really like? And then when I dive into it, so what do you see as kind of this list of top fears that we need to overcome?
1: Yeah. So, well, you just hit upon some of them. And I think, yeah, the the fear of not finding something as good as what they did before is, is a big fear among a certain demographic. Um, the financial fear is not so much among my clients. I, I tend to work with uh, fairly high-level executives. But in my day-to-day, I get uh, off on my website, people sign up for my newsletter. When people sign up for my newsletter, I say to them, hey, if, you, if you're willing, can you let me know why you're interested in this topic? So I hear from a lot of people around the country. And so the financial aspect of this dynamic is is very real. You know, we're living right now in a situation where we have said to people, hey, you work for 30 years, and now you're going to be retired for 30 years. And by the way, you should earn enough in that first 30 years to fund that second 30 years. It's not realistic for a lot of people. So people say, how am I going to find something to do that is going to be fun and fulfilling and flexible at the same time that I need to earn some money? So it's, it's an interesting and oftentimes very, you know, quite honestly was very, very challenging dynamic.
0: Yeah. Now you've also said you've got a teacher, maybe not super high income, but then they do typically mm-hmm. have decent, good retirements because they might have pensions. But it's almost as though the theme here is using your skills, lower pay, lower stress, but more fun and more fulfillment is almost the perfect semi-retirement second act.
1: Right. Right, and in terms of the finances, and I'm sure you know, you know you know this better than I do, The one of the great things about having a second act career is if you can find something that is enjoyable and that brings in some additional income, what it means is that you might be able to delay tapping your savings and filing for Social Security, and you can put that off for a couple of years and so the additional income, even if it's not that much, can make a real difference down the road in terms of you not having to, to draw down your savings earlier than is advisable. And that can make a big difference for folks.
0: It is such a practical piece of the equation, right? So the I've written a couple of different books about happy retirees. The first one was You Can Retire Sooner Than You Think, mm-hmm. which was a study on happy retirees and their habits, both lifestyle and then financial. And financially, you can kind of sum it up as, and again, these are checkpoints and You could adjust these numbers maybe a little higher for inflation, but getting to $500,000 in liquid retirement savings, having multiple streams of income, and that's exactly where you come in here, whereas Mm -hmm. you may have rental income, you may have portfolio income, but you may have part-time work or hobby income. I I see a lot of happy retirees end up doing a hobby job. And I've kept a long list over the years of different hobby jobs Mm -hmm. that kind of blossomed from what i saw through social media because the average person could be able to at least market their hobby job a little easier than before social media and then and then really getting to no mortgage right if you or mortgage payoff within sight mm-hmm. there's a dynamic that i've found in my research over the years is as years to pay off mortgage go down happiness levels go up Right. And it's it's an interesting dynamic of just getting rid of that big financial burden that you're paying a mortgage every month. The, the closer we get to that light at the end of the tunnel, the more financial peace we tend to find. Mm-hmm. And then that maybe gives us more flexibility to do our second act. So a lot's happened, right, in the last five years, really the last three years due to COVID. Mm-hmm. But way before that, years before that, Nancy, you were advocating flexible work, you mm-hmm. so, And I don't know if that felt like pulling teeth back then. Now it's how we live. We live with flexibility. We may never be doing this interview if it weren't for the technology that we used to be able to do these great podcasts and have great audio. And you're in Bucks County and I'm in Atlanta. That is almost one of the silver linings from COVID. But let's talk about this pre-COVID world. How unflexible was the world when it came to travel and where you were physically versus
1: today? Absolutely. And I think you bring up such an important point here, Wes, because the, the I believe that now is, is the best time for people that are interested in flexible work. So one of the, the big changes that happened and was really accelerated by the pandemic was the adaptation of virtual services for all types of businesses. So let me give you a couple of examples. I have uh, a friend of mine who she is a lactation consultant. You know, she helps new moms with with breastfeeding. Pandemic happened, and she thought, "Oh my God, you know, now what? I, I can't, you know, there goes my business. I can't help help women." Exactly the opposite happened. People still needed her services. She discovered, you know what? Zoom. She could she could do it by Zoom. It meant that she could take on many more clients than she had before. And she qualified for telehealth reimbursement under insurance. So her business took off during the pandemic. And that was something that was not possible for her to do before the pandemic. I know personally with my retirement clients, pre-pandemic, when I said to them, would you like to meet for via Zoom? They would say to me, oh, uh, what's Zoom? And you know the reaction was, <laughs> no way. Now- Absolutely no one questions it. So I'm able to, you know, I'm going to hop off this call. My next client today will be somebody who's in D.C. I'm able to do it that way. Give you just one more example. Uh, Another uh, colleague of mine, and she is someone, she's a stylist, and she helps people with, you know, picking out special occasion clothes and redoing their wardrobe. Same thing with her. Pandemic hit. She thought, I'm done. This is not going to happen. Exact opposite happened. She discovered ways to share her services online. She now uses online shopping sites, has vastly expanded her service. So you know, just three very brief examples. And, and this plays across all different types of professions that people are able to do it virtually, and particularly for older people. What it means is that you know, my, my the woman who is the lactation consultant, she doesn't have to worry about getting in a car in a snowstorm. She, you know, she can do this wherever, uh, for, you know, for moms, if they have a sick child at home, you know, they, they can, they can take an hour here or an hour there to work with clients. So it has really opened up possibilities that didn't exist.
0: It is. Nancy's already given us a, but I've been keeping a little running list here. We've got stylists. These are second act careers. stylists, uh, multiple forms of teaching, lactation consultant, which I never would have come up with, a c- comedy routine. Again, I never would have thought of that one either. Mm-hmm. Uh, career career coaching, which is something that you do, all sorts of consulting. Mm-hmm. You talk about a reinvention R&D budget. I want you to maybe just dive into that a little bit. Yeah, uh, It sounds like something our, our listeners, if you're thinking about these second acts, should really consider doing. Reinvention R&D budget. What is this? Yeah.
1: So- Here's the thing, Wes, I am constantly amazed when I went around talking about my book, Second Act Careers, and I would hear from people who would say, well, you know, some of these ideas sound intriguing, but, you know, I just don't want to spend the money to get a certificate or to take a class. And finally, I started looking at them and I would say, if you don't mind me asking, what did you spend on your child's viola lessons and are they still playing viola? What did you spend on your child's ice skating lessons? And did they go to the Olympics? The point here being that we spend all, particularly, and women are particularly bad at this. We spend all sorts of money on our kids and other people. But when it comes to ourselves, and particularly at this stage in life, some people feel like, okay, well, it's not that important. Um, you know, I'm older, I should be able to figure this out on my own, I don't want to spend any money on classes, or, you know, spend money on, on putting up a website. And my feeling is, you know, first of all, there's a lot of things these days that are available for free classes and website templates and all sorts of things. And listening to podcasts like this, where you can get educated, a lot of the stuff, a lot of this is available for free. But every once in a while, it really does pay to spend some money. And so, you know, another great example for my book is I interviewed a woman who's a senior move manager. Senior move managers are people who help people um, move out of their forever homes into the next facility. So it might be a 55 plus community, an assisted living facility, what what have you. And they help them with, the you know, decluttering, planning the move, figuring out where the furniture goes, et cetera. It's a growing field, as you can imagine. This woman, the way that she got into the field, um, sort of a longer story. But hold on, is, that, is this her
0: primary or her second act? It, so became, her, it
1: became her second act. She was second actually act. she was actually somebody who did PR for the financial services industry. This you have to remember. I wrote the book uh, back uh, following the financial crisis of two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. So her financial. Consulting business at that point was not doing so well, and she needed to figure out something else that she could do. She read about the senior move manager, she thought that's intriguing. She went to their annual conference, so she immersed herself in five days of learning and meeting new people, and that was such a fabulous way. I really encourage people to take a look at industry associations. There is an industry association for every in- industry you can possibly think of. And a lot of them offer training programs and a network of people that you can tap into to help with moving forward in your next act. The funny thing about the story, was is that um, she became a senior move manager. But when she went back the second year to the conference, they discovered that she had all this background in PR So all of these senior move managers were interested in speaking with her about helping them with PR for their business. And then she started doing that as well. So great (laughs) example. So it's this evolution.
0: Yeah, it's this evolution of, again, taking something that you're already good at, moving into something that you enjoy, that gives you this meaning that you're good at. And then it continues to evolve. And it evolves back to, wait a minute, I'm now in a new career, but I can bring in the skills my expert income streams is part of how you categorize this, pull that back in and then it continues to evolve and blossom over time. And I think it goes back to the thought here, Nancy, that people need an R and D budget. They need to, to say, look, it's okay to spend some time and some money and some energy to reinvent and to reinvigorate and to see if you can get excited about something. That's right. And it's a wonderful point to remember is that there is an industry association for pretty much everything out there, any any sort of anything that's ever done well economically in some sort, of, which means there's a there's a chance that you're going to be able to make at least some money, and there's a industry for it. There's an industry association for it as well, and I think that's a really practical piece of advice that right. our, our folks and, can and use. as
1: I said, and a lot of those industry associations offer classes and webinars for people uh that are interested in it, and you know, Wes that the. the the main point about the R&D budget is it's like any other item in life. If you say at the beginning on January 1st, if you say, okay, I'm allocating $500 towards my second act education and development, you will be far more likely to spend that when you see the opportunity to take a class or to go to a conference than if you have to scramble later on and figure out you know, which, which uh, bucket you're going to pull that money from. And just by setting it aside ahead of time, you're giving yourself permission to go ahead and use it. And I think that that's a really valuable step to take. How
0: about when it comes to this reinvention R&D budget, there's also the allocation of time. And I know that you've mentioned volunteering mm-hmm. as, a, as a way to figure this out or get going on a second career. So volunteering is another piece of the equation in your R&D budget. It may not cost you anything, but it's a, it's your an investment of time to see if you like a particular Area of, of the of the marketplace.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And another way that I think is a great way to test out your interest in new pursuits is take advantage of some of the platforms that are out there, the gig platforms that are out there. I mean, everyone's familiar with you know Uber and Lyft, but there are gig platforms for every type of uh, pursuit that you can think of. You're, if you're interested in freelance writing or freelance photography or freelance cooking, um, there are gig sites that you can connect with that will make it very easy for you to establish a presence online. So as an example, I interviewed a gentleman one time who he had been a a vice president of company. He had retired. He was trying to figure out what to do next. His passion was he loved dogs. He loved dogs and he loved taking long walks in nature. And he thought, you know, might be fun to be a dog walker. But he was someone who was not entrepreneurial. So what he did was he went on rover.com. He set up a profile. And so Rover, you know, handled, you just put in some information, you get your profile on the site, um, and business started to come in. Now, obviously, these, these platforms take a percentage of the money that comes in. So longer term, you're probably gonna wanna go out on your own. But in the short term, it can be a terrific, low-risk way to test out your interests, see if there's a market, see if you like it, and then you decide, does the reality match up to my vision of what's possible?
0: So Rover.com is the Uber for dog walkers.
1: Yep. Or cat so, sitters. It, it, or <laughs>
0: cat sitters. You just mentioned, fi- if, again, f- several more things, freelance writing, cooking, photography, photography. Uh, whether you're taking care of animals, whether you're uh, boarding and helping people with dogs that are, you're headed out of town or dog walking or dog sitting. It just, the more we talk, the brighter the light gets to me of just how many opportunities there are. And when you're staring at this as a consultant, who's doing technology, let's say for the travel industry, you know, you're sitting there saying, well, what am I going to do next? Like, there's so many ways to go and it feels like what you're trying to help people do here as our listeners is just break, kind of look, break down these walls. of. It's not nearly as complicated, nearly as high of a hurdle that you might think to find the next act. What if you end up starting something and you go ahead first and it doesn't work, it doesn't fulfill? How often does that happen? And you see people that really regret their first, second act step.
1: Yeah, it happens a lot. So let's talk about that. And this is why I always say you take the smallest step And you take lots of them and you test out different things because you don't want to invest. And that's why, you know, using the example of Rover, that's a really easy way to test out your interest in dog walking versus starting your whole dog walking business and having to find out, you know, what do I do about filing with the local town and getting licenses and insurance and all the rest of it? They'll handle that for you. So that's a simple way to do it. So I am a great believer in you... um, you know you fail fast, you fail often, and that is going to inform your next steps and get you much quicker to where you want to be.
0: How about life story worksheets, something that you write about? Can you kind of just explain that? or is that similar to what you talked about earlier, Something you love, something you're good at, and something that's meaningful? Tell mm-hmm. me about these life story worksheets.
1: Yeah, so I have those in the book. and and the reason I do that, that those come out of my you know career counseling background. Is one of the big challenges, Wes, um, is that once you are of a certain age, you know, it's hard enough to find your keys in the morning, let alone remember <laughs> what you did when you were 17 and whether or not you enjoyed it. So, with the life story worksheets, what I do is I have worksheets where I uh, divide it into different sections. So, childhood, your uh, college years, your working years, your personal life. And then I ask people key questions to just stimulate their memory and write it down. And people are always amazed when they go through this process, it is, you know, it's a little time consuming, it's your life that you're talking about, how things come back to them that they had completely forgotten about. And once they write it down, they begin to really see real common threads between their experience as to what they love, what they enjoy doing and what they value. And so this is really the uh, house cleaning part of it, if you will, of, you know, it's sort of like taking inventory. It's the, you know, Marie Kondo, just get rid of what doesn't spark joy. And in order to do that though, first you gotta open the drawers and see what's there. And so it's important to go through that process and get it down on paper. Because otherwise you're, you're trying to figure it all out just thinking about it and you're going to miss a lot of key points.
0: So I made a quick life story worksheet. And again, there's a lot more to this, but I go child, let's say I, childhood, college and working career, Nancy. Childhood, I'm thinking uh, mucking stalls. So cleaning out stalls for horses, one of the m- main memories I have. Landscaping, another main memory. This is all childhood, early teens into, into teens camp counselor. And in in two of those, I ended up with an actual business. So I started a camp and then I had a landscaping business. But when I was muck and stalls, I was just muck and stalls. So uh, then college, I did construction and I had a house painting business in Chapel Hill. Yeah. I did one of those college painting businesses. Now I can just tell you, that is not something I'm trying to revisit, but I could always (laughs) go back and paint houses. Chapel Hill in the summer, painting houses, that was... Very Painful. memorable of something I don't want to necessarily go back and do, even though it was it was very fulfilling. And it was fun, but and then working career again, investments and then uh, private equity and media and writing. So those are all the things that I love to do in my working career. So if I were your client, you would tell me, Wes, what's my se-
1: What would you tell me? My second act is Nancy. <laughs> I wouldn't even dare guess it off of that list, um, and I, I think that's that's a really important point is you know everybody wants to be able to take the test and this is why assessment tests do so well you know let me just take the myers-briggs and, and then i'm going to know what to do or let me take the you know strong interest inventory and i'm going to know what to do and i can tell you having a master's in career development that you know they're great for the test man- manufacturers are not so great for the individuals because the fact of the matter is is what you should do next is partly based on your, your skills and your interests and your gifts. But it also has to end your values and all of those, all of those good things. But it also has to do with where are you today in your life? What are you looking for? And we haven't talked a lot about that. Um, but what are you looking for in terms of your lifestyle? What's most important to you? You know
0: what, well, what? you're also saying, Wes. Hey, hey, buddy. Patience and time. Patience mm-hmm. and time, and activity, which is a lot like investing, by the way. But let's talk about that. You, you mentioned. Let's talk about the what really fits your life. I think you were. I don't know if you're headed towards fulfillment here, but tell me more about that.
1: Yeah. So I think there's both sort of the inner fulfillment, and then there is just the practicalities of your situation, particularly when you get to retirement. So. You know, the practicalities of your situation may be that your spouse recently retired and your spouse is really interested in doing a lot of traveling. That's going to impact your plans. The practicality may be that you have elderly parents who need your time and attention uh, or, you know, a spouse who needs caretaking. You may have health issues. There are a lot of practical issues that, that could potentially influence how much time and space you have to devote to different activities. So like I said, part of it is logistics and practical things. And part of it is what's inside of you. Where, where are you? What do you want your life to look like, um, going forward? You know, what do you want? Is this more about legacy for some people? It's really about creating legacy at this stage in life. You know, I really want to do something that's meaningful that when my grandparents read, about me, they're going to be really proud of who I am and what I stood for. That's really important to people. I've had other people who say to me, you know what, I've been a nurse all my career. I have, um, you know, given so much of myself. And really what I want right now is I want to enjoy my life. So everyone comes at this from very different angles. And and the last point, was is that it is a moving target. What mm. works for you between years you know, 60 and 65 might be very different when it's between 65 and 70. And so the important thing is to get in touch with what's important to you. uh, When you really feel like you are valued, when you feel like you add value, what you're looking for, what you're good at, all of that, use that as a starting point. Keep that in mind, but revisit it on an annual basis. What's changed? What have I learned? What does this mean for the future?
0: So let's go back to a fantasy second act that you would read about on a financial website that would catch your attention. Let's say uh, mom quits job and travels the world and makes $10,000 a month. You know, I I read these stories, but can we talk about something that has to do with the economy that is, let's say digital, the digital economy where you might be able to travel and then you're able to make that into a a real living. Is that, practical or do we is it is that really reserved for just a handful of folks that are continue to market to our unrealistic aspirations or or is that possible
1: So in the book I have a chapter called get paid to travel and I start off the chapter by saying that you're forgiven if you ignored everything else and came to this chapter first um because I understand a lot of people probably will do that and I Right off the bat, what I say is the opportunities to get paid to travel are limited, but there are plentiful opportunities to reduce the costs of travel. And I think this is really a key point. So you're absolutely right. The people who are the the travel bloggers and some of them have done very, very well. Um, you know there's some people out there that are doing a great job with that and it's worked well with for them. I don't think that that's, feasible for a lot of, lot of people though. I think for other people, there are opportunities to travel that will help to minimize the amount of money that you need to spend on travel. So as an example, um, in, for, for the book, I interviewed some people that are in-sitters. What are in-sitters? As opposed to somebody who owns a bed and breakfast, in-sitters are people who, and again, there's a training program for this, who go and relieve in keepers of their duties for a week or a weekend at a time. And so it's a great way to indulge that fantasy of owning your own bed and breakfast, but you go, you do the work for you know, a weekend or a week, and then you go back to your nice quiet home. That's an example. Um, I remember, you know, Wes, you don't wanna run into me on vacation because I inevitably start chatting with people about how they got into what they're doing. And when we were out in Yellowstone, there was a woman who gave us a wonderful tour of the Yellowstone Inn. So of course I started asking her how she ended up doing this. Both she and her husband were former teachers. They go to work in the national parks each summer for I believe it's three or four months at a time and they give tours. And she said, you know what, this is so much fun. I'm still teaching, but now I have people who are really interested in what I have to say as opposed to the middle, middle school students. And so, and, you know, people often think about the national parks, working in the national parks as college students, right? Well, the fact of the matter is, is, you know, when, when does Carolina start? Beginning of August, because college students have to be back before the summer is over and the national parks are open from like May to October. So if you go to the national parks in September, you will see a lot of gray-haired people working in all sorts of capacities. And that's a wonderful way to spend a couple of months. I've interviewed several people who've done that. And to a person, they all say it was an incredible experience. In fact, I keep saying to my husband, that's the one idea that I would actually like to really try. Oh, that's your fantasy
0: second act Mm -hmm. is the is, is it an in-sitter or being a, working in one of the parks?
1: Yeah, I'd love to work in one of the parks. I, I think, you know, national parks is such a gift to this country and the idea of working out there now. So, you know, it, what goes along with that is I don't have, I don't have maintenance skills or anything like that. So I'll probably end up being the, you know, the person in the gift shop or whatever, but that's fine. Um, that sounds fun
0: to me. That sounds yeah. fun. Wait, did you say that they were running an inn as well? Did you say the Yellowstone Inn?
1: So no, they were giving tours of the Yellowstone Inn. So they, they're hired by the okay. parks department to to give tours. And so she did the Yellowstone Inn and her husband, who's also a, a retired school teacher, he was giving tours um, in on the property outside.
0: Oh, she was giving tours inside Yellowstone. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. That's a fun fantasy thought around going west, going to Montana, Wyoming, one of the great, Western states and going to the national parks. That really sounds fun. So maybe you've peaked my second, third, fourth act thought here. <laughs> maybe that's the next book. when you update it's uh, second and third act careers, 50 plus ways. Yeah. The yeah. second and third acts. Uh, I, I immediately think of, there's so many great things here. And I think that now that we've talked, it feels as though it's possible. And it's, it's a process though, right? And, and just like um, you had said, Wes, it's not as easy as listing out your three different life periods of time and what you did. It's going to take some time because when I get that question from a family I work with and that we're doing retirement planning and they have gone many years and accumulating and now they're ready to go into the semi-retirement phase or full, they want an answer. It's like, Wes, what do you think I should do? Mm-hmm. What's, what's the next way I can make a little bit of income? And it's very much, it really is that the human reaction is to just get an answer. Like, oh, what, what would be a good second thing for me to do? And the thought now, I think what I've learned from today is that it, it's silly for me to be able to say, well, you should, Jim, you should just go do this. Like that, that doesn't make any sense. It's, Jim, you should start the process of figuring out what your second act should be. You should do a reinvention R&D budget. You should do a life story worksheet. You should think about this for the next year. You should write down these three columns of what you love, what you're good at, and what what is meaningful. And then you will arrive at your second career as opposed to hey, let's just let's just play darts and say boom, I want to choose that. Like that's yeah. y- you've yeah. really come at this in a much more comprehensive a- a way.
1: And and what I would say is, you know, doing all of that self-analysis and introspection is super important. Um, but equally important is then you've got to get out and begin to test some some of these ideas out because oftentimes the reality and the vision don't don't sync up. So it is it is indeed a process. And, and the last thing I would add to that, Wes, is for you know before you asked about when do you start the ball rolling, and something that's really simple that every listener, no matter where you're at in this process, can start today is just sign up for some of the newsletters of sites that feature these stories. I think as you begin to get uh, familiar with some of these stories, I, I shared some of them today, obviously my book has them, but you know I, I pay attention to this space. So I know every week there are stories like this that get published or there are podcasts that focus on this. And so if you go to my website, I have a list of 100 plus great Second Act Career Resources. And in there, I recommend some of the places where you can you can do that. In addition to my own newsletter, where twice a month, I uh, send people just five quick stories, which contain either inspirational stories or resources or ideas that can help people with this journey, because it is a journey and it does take time.
0: Is that mylifestylecareer.com? Can you tell it us is, where people will find you?
1: Yes. Yep. So at mylifestylecareer.com and then as i mentioned before i also write about work and purpose for nextavenue.org
0: and if somebody really wants coaching on this beyond doing themselves can i send them to you do you is this something you are readily taking folks on or are you overwhelmed because are you overwhelmed with clients
1: <laughs> so I, I as i mentioned before these days what i do is more retirement coaching it tends to be people that are Not necessarily driven to find work options. It's more about creating meaningful activities. And again, if you go to the website and just click on the retirement coaching, people can read about it and determine if they're a good fit from that.
0: Well, this is so rich today, so rich in content. There's so many actionable things people can do that you've talked about And there's so many different levels of doing this, right? You can do it yourself, you can, there's some self work you can do here. You can take it to the next level and sign up for some of the resources that you have on your website. You can take it to all the way to the level where you actually are paying somebody to do hourly coaching, right? So Mm -hmm. you you can also, there's a lot of levels of figuring out your second act career. And it's just such a good resource. It's such a such a powerful resource that you help people with. And by the way, are there a lot of other people that do this type of coaching? Is it is a big industry or is?
1: Yeah, so there are. Uh, it's interesting because you have people who are career coaches who are really helping people more with the you know traditional job market, uh, whatever that means th- these days. And then there are people who are retirement coaches who really focus more on people who are. Um, not, not interested in working. I sort of crossed, crossed both of those worlds, just given my, given my background.
0: Yeah. Well, Nancy Colomer, the author of Second Act Careers, 50 plus ways to profit from your passions during semi-retirement and a writer for the PBS site, which I love nextavenue.org. And then just Nancy Colomer herself, who's also a, a coach that does this and a counselor that does this. So, and a Tar Heel, which is another reason why we love you so much here on the show. (laughs) So listen, thank you so much, Nancy. Wonderful, wonderful information. And I look forward to our listeners to be able to use you as a resource and, and really dig into what is a process and not just a quick answer from a test, but a process to find out that second act and maybe a third and a fourth. So thank you and God bless you for what you do.
2: Thanks so much, Wes. Appreciate the opportunity. information.